What is happiness? That's a toughie. You just, you feel good. Contentment. A warm gun, according to the Beatles. That's a hard question. <laughs> An emotion that can easily come and go. Happiness is the smell of my kid's hair after a bath. Happiness is the feeling of contentedness. It's a choice. But if you live in the moment and accept life as it is, that you will find happiness in just about everything. Welcome to Choose Happy Podcast, the show where we talk about, investigate, and sometimes even experiment with what makes us happy. I'm Kate, the eternal optimist. And I'm Sarah, the cynical realist. Sarah, I hear you have something to say. Well, it's not really something to say. It's just a happiness experiment I am conducting at home. Okay, let's hear it. Um, First, excuse my voice. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay, so I started doing, reading this book with my husband a week ago. I started reading it myself actually first, and then it said that you should try to do it together if possible. And it's Okay, no. Okay, so we're reading this book together. You read like a chapter together every night and then it gives you a dare. And there you go. There's the name of the book. Now, is it like a sexy dare? No, no. No, fuck. That's not it. That's less fun. Yeah. The thing about a lot of these like let's call them relationship help books is all of the ones that I have looked at anyways always have a major religious undertone. And mm. Vince is like much more atheist than I am. Like for like, example, like for example, um, we are sending our daughter to a Catholic school because I'm I know I still don't know why they're letting you do that. But anyhow, <laughs> because you're sending her to Catholic. Well, school you know, you need to know about Christianity to be good in English literature, and that's that's why she's going there. <laughs> um, but we went into that school, and Vince walked up to like the Christmas wreath thing, and and was like, "Hey, what is this?" And I was like, "Fuck, you're gonna blow our cover." But anyways. So we're reading this book, and it has a lot of, um, like, quotes from the Bible. And so I have to censor that. So I say things like, the great Muhammad Ali says, and he likes that. Anyways, so we're doing this thing, and we do a dare every day. And I think it's great. Like, I think I'm in a good place right now. Um, And I'm not quite sure... If that, I think it has something to do with like not pursuing happiness for yourself, but like focusing on somebody else and their happiness and their, what they are getting out of your relationship rather than what you are getting out of it. So Mm -hmm. I think I'm learning that you, I'm going to write a thesis statement here. You will unintentionally receive happiness by trying to give it to somebody else i think so these are are they couple dares or are they doing something for your husband or for your partner or they yeah well we've only done a few one we had to buy each other something that day Mm. we each bought each other candy (laughs) (laughs) um and then you know there was like send them a message to tell them that you were thinking about them that day. And then there was one day where you had to to ask your partner for three things that you do that really irritate them, (laughs) which we thought would be a bad day because he like, he said initially, okay, so I'm going to spend the whole day thinking of why you irritate me. (laughs) That's not a, a good practice. But the point was not 
you thinking of these things. It was you receiving them and without judgment to try and do something about it. And it actually turned out fine. We couldn't think of that many things, which was wow. surprising. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been good. So it's for 40 days and we're about six days in. So I'll let you know how it goes. Please, yeah. So do you start the morning by reading this to each other and then and then do that thing during the day? Is that how that works? We read it at, before we go to bed. Okay. It's only like three pages long. Maybe two and a half when you cut out the the religious quotes. <laughs> and then we do the dare the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you flipped forward to see what kind no. of dares are on the way? No, that's cheating. I'm the, I'm the kind of person who flips to the end. Interesting. Really? Yeah, I am. <laughs> okay, so these so these are the dares so far. Number one, buy, buy each other something. Well, that's out of order. Okay. I don't know. It's like there was buy something, communicate throughout the day to say you're thinking of each other, um, try to approach uh, like an altercation with thoughtfulness and patience so then do you have to create an altercation so that you have something to approach <laughs> with thoughtfulness and patience well i do i don't have a problem with that because <laughs> <laughs> that's why i'm surprised you couldn't think of more things that irritated him about me but yeah that's really cool what have you been up to I'm proud of you guys um, well, I have been tracking my happiness this week where in the morning I go and I just write down my baseline of on a scale of one to 10, what is my capacity for happiness today? Um, and so Monday, wake up, we're recording on a Sunday, by the way. So Monday, wake up, it's like a seven. Tuesday, it's an eight. Wednesday, it's an eight. Thursday, it's a nine. Friday, it's a nine. Saturday, it's a three. So I learned a couple things. Mm. I took a look and I'm like, why is Saturday so low? Because on Saturday, I had to fucking clean my house. And I knew that I had to clean my house. Mm. So I think there's a direct correlation between my happiness and house cleaning. Do you think that's a thing? Can I claim I'm unhappy because I have to house clean and so then I just don't clean? Absolutely. Well, I don't know if... Do you think you could remain happy living in a hoarder's pigsty for the rest of your life? Because if you can, then I guess you could do that. Probably not. And that's the thing is I'm always happy after the house is clean. But the act of cleaning itself is just such a chore, obviously. But it's interesting because the interview that you guys are all about to hear, um, our guest actually talks about those mm-hmm. those consistent chores and how important those are. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll fix this problem by the time I talk to you again, Sarah. They, this is probably wouldn't work for you since your work hours are different but somebody hopefully someone will interview in the future told me that one of the best things that she ever did was to have a 10 minute cleanup after dinner each night and they would just Mm. they just set the timer and we've been doing this too and you you everyone in the house cleans for 10 minutes and it really helps because the first few days, you know, you're just tidying your shit up. And, but once that's done, then you can do other things like oh, I'll clean a bathroom this time or something. And yeah, it is a really good idea. Yeah. We, so maybe uh, you could do that first thing in the morning. That would probably start your day off <laughs> really great. Yes. Yeah. We've tried that in the past, but now our work hours are sort of opposite. So yeah. I'll have to find, have to find a time where Joel and I can do that. And I think that will help. Part of it too is we're trying to sell our house right now. So we've got the house we're trying to keep the house constantly clean. Right. But there hasn't been a lot of interest, which bums us out. So we haven't been cleaning. And the dogs are shedding. But that's neither here nor there. 
Um, the other thing that I wanted to tell you about is I am getting my chart read. <laughs> and I don't know what that means. I met a woman. Uh, she's working with me now at my at my job. And she almost instantly asked me my date and time of birth and place of birth and year of birth and things like that and entered into this website. And she has this whole big star chart. And she keeps telling me words that I don't understand, like... She keeps talking about Chiron and the house it's in, and I don't understand what either of those things mean. I think that's from Game of Thrones. I will report back. <laughs> We're meeting on Tuesday. She told me um, that I have a lot of fire and that I learn most of my lessons in life through relationships. So psychics get their information from the internet now, from an internet <laughs> database? Well, I don't think she's a psychic, so I don't know. Um, no, she's actually, she's really wonderful, and she's really passionate about this, mm. and it spit out this great big, it looked like a great big protractor. It was a huge circle with a bunch of lines in it, mm -hmm. and then it had little symbols in that circle, and apparently those all mean something to her. It's like this whole other language. So I will report back on that next time I see you because it might be very illuminating. It might explain why I don't like housework. I will try to be open-minded. <laughs> I know it's a struggle for you, <laughs> but I appreciate it. Um, and then the last thing is, you know, in this line of hippie, soft soft skills i need you to analyze a dream for me okay okay so i am a pretty happy person you would say i would say that you are above average in that area <laughs> okay great so so just for context above average happy i cry sometimes when i'm frustrated or when i'm sad obviously um but i'm not a big crier i'm not a big accessing my emotions person unless that emotion is happiness so i have this dream where i'm out in the world shopping with my family and i cannot find a cup of coffee anywhere and i start to scream my fool head off like i'm a toddler and this whole dream i am whining and screaming and having a legitimate temper tantrum as a grown-ass woman about the fact that i can't get a cup of coffee Hmm. I wake up from this dream with tears on my face, like in real life, tears on my face because I was so mad and having a temper tantrum and crying and I was so upset and it was like the most devastating thing in the entire world that I couldn't get a cup of coffee. Sarah, what's wrong with me? Well, Vince would say you're dehydrated. My mom would say... <laughs> It's any kind of hormone medication you're taking Not. or your homo hormones. Um, probably. I have no idea. What day did this happen on? Was uh, this on a Friday night? <laughs> Thursday? Oh. I was going to blame it on the house cleaning. What, which family members were you shopping with? My grandma and my stepdad and my brother. But my brother was like... He was never in the picture. He, I knew that he was there, but he wasn't there there, which is sort of like my brother most of the time. Okay. I have a solution. Okay. You are lacking some attention slash support from your family members. And like this is a classic <laughs> child. What children do? They have a tantrum because they don't know how to express their frustration and they need your love. So reach out and touch somebody. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Call right, your folks. grandma. 
All right, folks, call my grandma. Actually, that's probably a really good idea. Um, if you want to send in dreams for Sarah to analyze on air in her in her very uh, amateur experience, please do that. Choose happypodcast at gmail.com. Great. Yeah. Um, so this guest that we have for you today, she is super wonderful. Amazing. Uh, taught us a lot. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you all get something out of that as well. And if you don't, well fuck you what's wrong with you yeah exactly (laughs) super wise woman um used to go to university with her but i've lost touch with her it was really nice to reconnect and see how she's doing and please excuse sarah's voice i try to talk minimally you have like sexy smoker voice on today it's sexy smoker voice Ugh. yeah joel calls it the scarlett johansson voice oh that's right yeah okay so excuse sarah's scar joe voice through this she's a little bit sick and yeah, please welcome Whitney. Whitney. Okay, so we are here with Whitney. Hey, Whitney. Hi. Hey. Um, so Whitney, in give us your elevator pitch. The My, your elevator pitch, like you are on a website telling us about yourself in 140 or more characters. What would you say about you? My name is Whitney. I live in Calgary. Okay. I'm married. I have my dog and my cat, and I like to do yoga. Great. (laughs) Are you happy? I am happy. That's good. Actually, yeah. I'm very happy. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you always lived in Calgary? No, I was, well, I was born in Calgary, and then I lived in a small town in Manitoba with my mom and my brother Mm -hmm. until... I left kind of after high school and moved around a little bit, lived in Vancouver for a while, and then ended up in Calgary for um, university. Very cool. Uh, what was what was high school like in Manitoba? I went to a very small high school okay. in a very small rural farming community. So high school for me was comfortable. Um you know, you knew everybody for the most part or who they were. But I would say it wasn't a very diverse experience. It wasn't a very, um, like, I didn't know about a lot of things you can do in your life as an adult going to that high school. How, what do you mean? Um, I think it was, like, even the, um, the opportunities or the choices you have in even, like, basic career channels wasn't really there I feel Mm -hmm. like the idea like that people would go traveling after high school was never something I even knew about or heard about until I was older even cultural diversity I mean I didn't have anything other than Chinese food until I moved to Vancouver when I was 21 so I think it's uh it was comfortable but it was limiting in some ways at that time that totally makes sense so what was the transition like for you moving to Vancouver? Super exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. I, I, I think I'm naturally um, an open person. So I was excited to just try everything from food to um, different kinds of friendships to whatever. It was, um, it, 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 it was a very good thing for me to, um, I feel like it played an important part in sort of how I am now, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you there by yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For how long? Uh, I think almost four years. 
three or four years. Like, I had a girlfriend that lived there. Um, so that was the initial invitation to go out there and then kind of figured my own way, I guess, once I was there. But neat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So after Vancouver, so that was four or so years, did you go to school while you were there? I think I took a writing class, but no, <laughs> I didn't. I, I, I was... I would say, like, it was probably my most wildest time of my life. Like, I worked, and I just went out a lot. Um, I didn't really focus on any kind of development outside of social development, I would say. Mm-hmm. So what did you learn about social development while you were there? Um, I think I learned, if I think about it now, honestly, I think that I was very insecure I was surrounding myself with superficial relationships for the most part. I mean, I have, I would say, two relationships or friendships that are still very dear to me from that time of my life. But sort of the periphery of people were, um, you know, just, yeah, superficial, lots of drugs, lots of drinking, um, just going out. Not really, like, you don't, you never hung out you know, at home and watched a movie or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. called each other to see how you were doing. It was it was more about um, being on the scene, I guess. Were you happy in that? No. No. No, I was, I think, de- I, I was probably um, the most lonely and probably the most lost, I would say, or sad, um, but coped with through... Um, substance abuse for sure and not really recognizing that it it was substance abuse but just thinking well this is just how it is and this is what makes me feel good and this is what makes me feel happy Um, and I didn't acclimatize to the rain that well to be honest and like I think knowing what I know now if I ever lived there I wasn't healthy so to deal and cope with you know no sunshine for a very long time Mm -hmm was I would just go to the, like, and get wine. And I didn't know that that's what I was doing, but I think I was doing that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And do you say you weren't healthy? Do you mean physically healthy, mentally healthy, both? Yeah, both. Both. Yeah. Like, just um, not physically active or not having any kind of connection to my body that way, Mm -hmm. other than it gets me from point A to point B, and it feels, you know, shitty, <laughs> on Sundays, sure. and Saturday mornings, <laughs> and sometimes Friday mornings, depending what was going on that week, yeah. and uh, yeah, not really having much, um, being like disconnected, I guess that way. So, how did that start to change? Um, I went back to Winnipeg for a visit one, I think it was a summer or spring, and with no intention of leaving Vancouver or anything, and I met somebody. Or I should say I re-met somebody that I had gone to high school with um, and a romance blossomed and I decided to leave Vancouver and go back to Winnipeg for that relationship. Um, But unfortunately, he got very sick while I was gone and he died. And so my life inevitably changed because I had already moved back to Winnipeg and then he died like two weeks after I got there two or three weeks and so then that life was over the Vancouver life was over wow and then I was in Winnipeg 
not where I wanted to be, not how I thought I would be there. So how do you cope with something like that? Like changing your life completely for this new life that you're going to have and then that new life is no longer there. I was, I, I stayed by myself for a while. Yeah. I, um, I don't really know. I think you kind of go into somewhat of like a survival mode, I suppose, in some way. Um, and then you spend your nights devastated. And then, I don't know, you just, I don't really know. I feel like I can't really articulate that that well, and I'm not sure why. I think um, I think because when you're faced with something like that, you don't really have a choice. I mean, I guess you do. You have a choice of like how, which, which rabbit hole of mourning or sadness mm-hmm. you go down. And I think because I I had felt such strong feelings for that person, I chose not to like I wasn't drinking. I wasn't um doing drugs or anything because I I think I actually did want to feel sad Mm -hmm. Mm. so I wasn't um I wasn't masking it or kind of like veiling it with the the drinking or whatever I was just kind of I was with it and I was in it for a while and I think, you know, and my mom was really good, like coming over, making me have a shower, like stuff like that, helping me vacuum my house because I couldn't even do that. You know, like it was overwhelming. Life felt very overwhelming. And then, I don't know, time goes by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't stay there that long. I mean, I stayed for two years. And then, but I was miserable for the full two years. And not just because... Uh, Cole had died, but also because I was in a place I didn't want to be on my own. Like, I had no interest of ever being there (laughs) other than visiting. But I didn't want to, like, create a life by myself there. Yeah, that's fair. So then how did you end up in Calgary? Mm, My grandma's here. Mm -hmm. And ever since I was in high school, or probably even, like, junior high, I always wanted to go to university in Calgary. And I've always liked Calgary a lot. And I had some good memories as a kid spending my summers there with my grandma. And um, I had been spending some time with my dad in Calgary. So there was sort of this... um, Re, I guess like a re- re- reminder of that place for me and the nostalgia I had and just the comfort. And um, I applied to the University of Calgary and just moved once I got accepted. And you did English, right? I did a bachelor, like an English sociology degree. That's right. Mm-hmm. Are you working with that now? No. No. <laughs> and what are you doing now then? Um, I'm working at a grocery store in Inglewood and I am the produce lead so I get to work with fruits and veggies all day um and I I would say it's probably one of the most um joyful jobs I've ever had which is like very uh was would probably be something I would never have imagined actually if I had to do life planning you know I would never have thought of doing that. Yeah. And I honestly, I never thought I'd hear somebody say that. What, like, what is it about it that makes it that way? Um, I think I love plants to begin with. Like, I love, uh, I grow my own vegetables. I, I have a deep love for 
just the what goes into from seed to your plate kind of thing. I've always been like, I, it just amazes me. And I'm, and I'm very passionate about that. And I'm passionate about not wasting such beautiful um, living things. So I try to be, to take very good care of them when they're in my care. And um, I just, it's a job that I can work kind of on my own like it's pretty autonomous and it's a bit I'm a bit in my own little bubble which I think I've come to realize I kind of need if I'm too engaged socially in a workplace or with too many people I become um, very drained very quickly Mm -hmm. and I like to be alone so this is kind of it it bridges that for me Um, and where I work I get some really nice natural light in the windows so it's just and the bakery is like like directly across from me so I get the sense of (laughs) their baking and they're a very happy group of people so they're always laughing and so it's just like kind of a sweet little spot in the store um and then also you know being able to work with um working towards working with like local farmers and local product is um something that I'm super super passionate about like in my own kind of personal life and then also being able to sort of exercise that professionally is kind of nice and interesting great yeah because that takes up a lot of your time right Mm -hmm. having a job that you love definitely would contribute to happiness um Mm -hmm. is there anything that you do purposefully in your spare time to pursue happiness would you say making good choices how so? Um, can you elaborate? <laughs> I guess good isn't maybe the right word, but making choices <laughs> I can stand behind. And I feel like over time I've learned that. And that starts with, am I washing my face before I go to bed or am I not? You know, am I making my bed in the morning? Am I giving myself enough time in the morning to be by myself and have breakfast and hang out with my cat um, and stretch or whatever? I feel like I've learned over time through, I think, trial not trial and error but but maybe not living that intentionally even just in like the day-to-day things to also talking to other people about how they even start their day I feel like um contributes to an overall sense of happiness because there's consistency and you have are giving yourself time which therefore means like I go to bed at a reasonable hour because I want more time in the Mm -hmm. morning and then when I'm driving to work I feel very refreshed and very, I don't know, enthusiastic, I guess, about the day. Um, And then beyond that, I think it's, and and in terms of choices, it's like, how am I treating my body? What am I eating? How am I engaging with my family, my friends, my husband? Am I giving my dog the attention they need or am I on Instagram? Like, what am I doing, you know? And I think it's like kind of checking in all the time for me has helped a lot because then I'm not sitting in a situation where I feel remorseful for things I'm doing or things I'm not doing that I that I know deep down lend itself to an overall sense of health and therefore happiness. 
So we're living in this world of YouTube where YouTubers <clears throat> are sharing their morning routine with mm. the world. And I'm obsessed with these and I don't know why. I think I just am nosy for one. And for two, I think I just really like watching the way that people start their morning. Because when I was working in teaching, I know Sarah's looking really at me like crazy. crazy. <laughs> Super creepy. But when I was in teaching, I would roll out of bed, slap on some mascara, have a spoonful of yogurt with some hemp on top and then be out the door and get to work. And now that I'm working in a, in a different industry, I have that flexibility to have that nice leisurely morning. Um, and the morning routine is something that a lot of people in my industry are talking about in terms of how, um, as people working in athletics, how do we stay healthy? How do we stay happy? And how do our mornings contribute to that? So Whitney, you talked a little bit about that morning routine. I'm curious on your ideal day, what does that look like? Sleeping in a little bit, but not excessive. <laughs> like, I'm usually up at 6, so maybe naturally waking up around 7.30 mm. and kind of laying there for a little bit would be nice. Sunshine in the morning is ideal, I think. Um, I think just, like, taking a little bit of time to myself and in, in even just indulging in some of the things that, like, I maybe don't typically do, whether it's sitting on Pinterest for an hour in bed eating breakfast, mm -hmm. like, because I don't go on those websites that often, but it's, like, I still want to know what's going on out there with <laughs> recipes and stuff. So, um, and getting a yoga class in shortly after that, Hopefully, you know, Phil's around and I'm spending time with him. I think it's just, like, family time. Mm. And, and that can look different depending on the day, I think, and depending where who's home and who's not. But um, just slow. Having some, like, slow and, and some slowness and some time and not feeling like, yeah, I have to be out by 7.30, but that I can leave my house at no time if I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Totally fair. Sarah, how about you? So never having a job is the secret to happiness. <laughs> you should think about that. What is my morning routine? What is it what is, in your ideal world? I in can't your... even imagine that, Kate. No. Nope. I get up very early. I fight with my kid the whole time to get her ready. And then I leave. <laughs> it's family time. Ideal would be similar to Whitney. Yeah. Wake up probably at 7.30 and not have to get out of bed directly. That makes me very cranky. <laughs> and I have to do that every day. That explains so much. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> amazing. Um, Whitney, you've talked about Phil a couple times, but we haven't really acknowledged him yet. Do you want to talk, can you talk a little bit about Phil? Can you talk a little bit about how you guys met? Yeah. Um, Phil is my husband. Mm -hmm. We met because I was working at a restaurant that he owned. Um, and when I started working there, I was probably in a place of um, kind of like, I guess, like a transitionary place emotionally and I think lifestyle wise and uh, spiritually and stuff. So I was looking for a lot of things. And when I started working there, I discovered him, which... I was looking for I was looking for someone like him um, somebody that as a man is open to talking mm -hmm. and likes to philosophize and likes to you know just engage in um, interesting conversation and also be open he was very he is a very open person and creative um, 
And yeah, that's that was my first encounter, I guess. And you guys have been married for Oh, I can't math. I was at your wedding. Mm-hmm. I can't remember how long ago that was. It'll got- be six years this summer. Six years. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, do you two have habits that you engage in together that will that contribute to health or happiness? I don't think so. I think that we're pretty independent people and our lifestyles are pretty independent right now that our days start at different times, mm. um, which I think is actually good. It, I'm out of the door first, which gives him a couple hours of time to himself to, to choose and do his morning, how he he feels is most beneficial for him. And then I also have my little bit of morning that I'm doing by myself. Um, we both make the bed. It's not a together thing all the time, but it's <laughs> it's a habit that I think we both do to whoever's out of the door or leaving the house will make sure it's done for the other person. Um, we always do the dishes every day. Like, I feel like there's little things that maybe they're not done together, but they're done with the mindfulness that they should be done so that us – as a as a collective people in our home um have an undisrupted environment or at least to a certain extent you know and i think that that's been really important it's just like the little things it's not romantic and it's not uh <laughs> super exciting but i think it it kind of it makes sense for us mm-hmm. the little things do um but we don't have a ton of ritual together. Like we, because our, and, and I don't know if it's even just because of schedule or just also because we are a couple that I think can appreciate independence while also appreciating and and, and seeing the importance of, of togetherness. Um, but we're a bit, we're two kind of lone wolves together in a little <laughs> pack is kind of, I think, how it comes down sometimes. I don't know if that answered your question, but... Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, You've spoken a lot about mindfulness and intentionality. Are those practices or ways of being that are part of your spiritual makeup? I think it's... I think mindfulness is... I feel like when there isn't mindfulness, my I can feel very scattered mm-hmm. or I can feel almost inauthentic at times um, or like I'm just kind of flowing without really having my eyes open and I don't really know where I am. I'm just sort of there. And I think that I've learned mindfulness through experience and also through, um, yeah, through teaching, obviously, like through different modes of teaching and um, different books and different speakers and whatnot. I think it's it's kind of a universal idea, like whether it's intentional in the sense of I'm coming from this from like a spiritual place or it's coming from a place of simplicity that I'm just living my life. So if I'm getting up in the morning and the first thing I do is make my bed, that's just the mindfulness behind that I think just becomes – I don't know if habitual is the right word, but ingrained, Mm -hmm. I guess. And I feel like even when you watch, like, documentaries and stuff of, like, 
cultures of people that are sort of distanced from the busyness of like big cities or are, you know, still um, living traditions that seem almost like storybook, right? Like they seem, I guess they're archaic in time, but they're not, they're still applicable. I feel like there's always a lot of mindfulness, but beyond, or mindfulness in terms of like, how they eat, what they're eating, when they're eating, what they're eating, like how they conduct themselves in the world. And I feel like that's a practice. And that's probably something that you're also, it's a traditional thing. Like there's tradition behind that mindfulness. And I think that um, busyness doesn't lend itself to mindfulness. And I think that like we are um, exposed to messages or or just lifestyles that encourage busyness. And if you're not busy, you're not productive. And if you're not productive, then there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, well, you can be productive in your mindfulness of how you make your bed every day. But that's not something that is celebrated. It's private. <laughs> no one's going to be like, damn, that's a really good corner <laughs> on your sheets. <laughs> you know, like there's no one to see that yeah. but me. But it's like, and you know whatever or doing the dishes every day and just standing there and doing your dishes it's like there's something mindful and simple about that but there's something profound about it too because it's just it's a part of the practice of I think health and happiness so it's like that you have habits that you encourage in yourself and if you're mindful of doing them every day and how you're doing them then I think you overall feel happy because you're not coming home to a messy bed that you are going to go back to sleep in and dirty dishes that you have to do because you haven't done them in a few days. But you And, and so then what? Do you cook? Do you not cook? What are you eating then? Mm-hmm. Is it respectful of your partner, you know, in their space? So I think of mindfulness that way and then mindfulness in... Um, I guess even how I would think about myself in the world or how I'm trying to think about myself in the world and how I'm trying to go forward in the world. If you don't think about that stuff, then where are you? To me, when I don't think about that stuff, I'm I'm that girl back in Vancouver drinking Sauvignon Blanc and doing cocaine like four nights a week so it's like there's when there's no intentionality and there's no mindfulness behind even like what am I feeling then I fall into negative behaviors Hmm. that's the extreme and there's definitely in-betweens of that and the spectrum can go from you know booze and drugs to french fries to (laughs) you know laying on my couch and for an entire day and and those aren't necessarily always bad but I think that if I'm not in the moment or I'm not um, present to what I'm feeling those seemingly harmless things can actually be something more Mm -hmm. wow yeah I agree that was very profound oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) thank you I do a lot of those things and I feel guilty for it a lot. Sauvignon Blanc and cocaine four nights a week? Well, the wine and the lying on the couch thing. For me, it's the french fries. Mm-hmm. And that too. And that too. <laughs> Salt and pepper chips. Yeah, those. <laughs> I think guilt's a funny thing too because I 
was seeing, I, I started seeing a therapist this summer and I would use the word guilt often. And she offered the perspective of is guilt just another word for disappointment? Mm. And I think when I thought about it that way, it really opened up that idea, like disappointment, like what does that mean? Right. And so then I, I think that then thinking about life that way or that feeling of guilt in the sense that it could be a sense of disappointment creates the motivation to make good choices because it's like I don't want to feel like that and I don't want to feel disappointed in myself so I think then that comes into the practice of um choice like I feel like mindfulness presence intentionality all come down to choices and how you choose to feel and deal and cope and there will be days that I think one needs to lay on the couch and watch Gilmore Girls or cooking shows or like whatever and that's okay there's no reason to feel disappointment in that moment but I think if it becomes a practice where then a person is denying themselves healthy choices that are can you can still cope with your emotions or whatever it is you're going through in a way um that doesn't leave you feeling guilty or disappointment, then to me, that's that's a better choice. So how do you coach people or how would you coach somebody who was struggling to break out of the habit of making negative choices? Aside from, aside from helping them understand how that's important and why it's important to be making healthy choices and everything that you've just talked about, how do you actually do it? I don't know. Mm. And I feel like that's a conversation I've been having with like a few of my friends lately Mm. or just kind of like talking about when you find yourself surrounded by people that make certain choices and they become their identity becomes sort of a part of that choice and they're reflecting it back and they're projecting it back onto themselves. And it's in it and it can be a very um, draining place to be as a friend or a family member Mm. or whatever. And I feel like I love when things like this happen, but like I'm reading at night right now um, the Dalai Lama's Art of Happiness and the Mm. chapter I was on happened to be about this topic of like he of of exactly what it is you just asked like what do you how do you what do you there are people that will uh, forge forward and despite uh, comfort or despite challenge or whatever will continuously try to be a the best version of themselves they can be. And then there are people that are apathetic, I guess, which is how the Dalai Lama called it, is apathy. And he didn't really say what you do. I think he just said, like, you you basically model, I guess, right? Like, you can only continuously make your own good choices. And something he was speaking about that for me was, like, so amazing was um, you are given the gift of this body. So this body has the potential to carry you through your life and it's precious so if you have this precious body that you know only has a certain lifespan like there's an average lifespan we all kind of are accustomed to and then there's shorter lifespans or whatever but inevitably there's a lifespan how are you going to choose to treat that body so from what you eat to you know drinking or drugs or you know sexual deviance or whatever um to your mental habits and I think how you condition your mind 
to me, when I think about it that way, it's like, what a beautiful concept. It's like, this is such an opportunity to be in this body as this person for a certain amount of time. And how are you going to make those choices? And if someone is going to choose to be apathetic to that, I almost feel like, and I don't know, like maybe I haven't really come to terms with this question yet. It's like, I think that's when boundaries come up and it's just kind of like, okay, well, am I going to give my energy to you continuously when you really have no desire to create change within yourself? I don't know. I don't think I want to, you know, like I think there comes a point where it's just like, I can't tell you how to live your life. Mm -hmm. And who am I to tell you how to live your life? Maybe this is like your karmic life is that you are struggling with depression or you're struggling with motivation or the enthusiasm of just being alive. And it's like, I don't know, like what, what it is that your little life force or spirit is trying to learn in this lifetime, but I can't tell you what to do. I can only do what I think is like best for me. And sometimes those relationships aren't best Mm -hmm. for the, for me, I think. Um, And so I feel like there can be pretension around, well, this is the way to be, you know? And I think that for some people, like it isn't, it doesn't work for them. Like getting up early doesn't work for everybody. And, And maybe staying up late is better for some people. I don't know. I just know for myself, like, I have to make choices that I know help this body to go and forge forward with enthusiasm and with happiness and with um, confidence. Mm-hmm. And the confidence comes from the choices I'm trying to make. When I don't make a good choice, then I have, you know, the like self-esteem comes in or low confidence or whatever. Um, so I don't really know the answer to that. I don't really know if I actually gave an answer. I think I, <laughs> I think I'm trying to figure it out too. Yeah, and I and I do think that there's some a certain point where like, it's not like you're abandoning somebody. I think you just have to make the choice of like, okay, well, how do what is what is happening to me in that relationship? And if I'm leaving feeling frustrated all the time, maybe I'm not the best person to be around this person either. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Me, yeah. Uh, we have to wrap soon, but I have a question that I like to ask everybody mm-hmm. in our wicked and wild, massive amount of experience here. Um, <laughs> okay, it's an imagery game. It's not really a game, but we'll pretend it is. Uh, if your baseline mental state were a room, what would that room look like? It'd just be white. Just white. It'd be white. It'd just be white. Like, I almost feel like I don't even see, like, corners in the walls. It's just kind of round and white and um, filled with light, I guess. Not, But it's not a blinding light. It's kind of a glow. It's glowing. And it's just white and cozy. Like, maybe there's some pillows. And you can just kind of lay down. Wow, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, very last question before we wrap. Sarah and I are asking each of our interviewees to recommend a happiness practice to us that we will try for the next couple of weeks and then report back in our next intro. Would you mind imparting us with some homework? Your homework for us. 
I'm going to say three things, and you might already do these. Okay. They're really simple. Make your bed, do your dishes, <laughs> and write first thing in the morning. Make your bed, do your dishes, and write first thing in the morning. Yeah. You I would say, like, you probably will write and then make your bed and then do your dishes at some point when you get home from work or bef- or if you have the luxury of doing it before work. But the writing, I think, is um, – I think it, 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 it can be a gateway to um, almost self-therapy, I think, or mm-hmm. something. And, and I think you can actually, you can clarify a lot, I think, in the morning. And I think, it, and just writing, like, what would they call it? Like, you're just sort of free-flowing. Mm-hmm. Stream yeah. of consciousness. Exactly. Channeling. Yeah, okay. stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I think those things can be helpful. Okay, great. We'll give it a shot. And maybe stretching. I do do a forward bend or something so that you're always limber. <laughs> be eighty and you'll still be able to bend still forward. Be able to bend. Yeah, love it, Whitney. Oh, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Whitney. Thanks. Choose Happy Podcast is produced by us, Kate Marlowe and Sarah Kay. We're amateurs, but we're getting better at it every time. If you like us, we'd really appreciate it if you'd rate and review us on iTunes. Our website is choosehappypodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at choosehappypod or send us an email at choosehappypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.